You're listening to the voices behind Women's Cricket Chat. That's Hannah, Georgie, Cassie, Mahika and Alex. Coming up on today's podcast, we've got a former Worcestershire player, Lauren Rolls, who's recently just won the Ashes as interim head coach of England men's learning disability squad, taking away a 7-1 win and being the only team out of the five teams that went to Australia this winter to win an Ashes series. So that's really cool. Um, we also talked to her about her work with Central Sparks and who are the young guns and up-and-comers we should be looking out for. Okay, today we are welcoming to the pod Lauren Rolls, pronounced Rolls, like Rolls-Royce, just for all of you who want to know the kind of person we're dealing with today. We've got a Rolls-Royce of a cricketer with us. So not something we say in England very often at the moment, but an Ashes-winning coach. So we're going to put that out there again. Ashes winning coach, Lauren Rolls-Royce, uh, regional talent, talent manager at Central Sparks and just all around bloody legend. So welcome to the pod. You're joining me, Georgie and Alex today. How's life at your end? Yeah, life's pretty good. It's always nice to have a lovely Ashes introduction. And nice to be called Rolls-Royce, usually I get called sausage rolls. So that's quite a bit of a different, different term. But yeah, good, busy at the moment because it's the middle of the summer, but I've managed to squeeze you guys in. Oh, we're, we're honoured. We're honoured. So I think we just, you can't ignore it. As an English person, the excitement of winning an Ashes is something that we, I think we've got to start with that one. Normally we like to go sort of chronological story, but this is, it's, it's too big a story because it's so rare. So not that long ago, you were appointed to head up the learning disability team. And then you went out to Australia and you just casually won the Ashes. So just Tell us about that story and how you got involved with that and what that experience was like. Yeah, so I was, so I was interim for a guy called Derek Morgan, who has been there for years as their head coach. And then, yeah, I just applied, just saw the application on, um, on the ECB, applied, interviewed. And to be honest, I just interviewed on a whim. Like, oh, yeah, that'd be class. Like, it'd be really good to be involved in that. And it was like they advertised it as head coach and assistant coach role so I was thinking oh at best could get a cheeky little assistant coach gig and then um yeah just got a phone call from Ian Martin and he said oh we'd like you to be the head coach and I was like so I'm not sure you find the right person here Ian but so yeah so that was great and then we had so the lads train like one weekend a month pretty much in the winter so we had a few training sessions at Shrewsbury School and at Loughborough and then two warm-up games before we went out to Australia. So I hadn't really spent that much time with them before you then go into a two-and-a-half-week tour. But we flew out, flew out to Australia, and then we hit the ground running. It was literally as soon as we landed. Well, I landed a day after some others. So then it was like, landed at like 10 o'clock Aussie time. And then 10 o'clock in the morning, we were up and training. So that kind of helped with the whole jet lag because I had to I had to get off to sleep and then I had to get up in the morning, otherwise I would have just stayed in bed. And then, yeah, we trained for a couple of days and then we were straight into it. It was like game, rest, game, rest, game, rest. We had eight games in total. So yeah, it was carnage, to be honest. It was busy, but it was just, it was great because it put me out of my comfort zone from the word go, really, to be honest. And because mainly, because I didn't expect it, I hadn't worked with disability cricketers before. So it's, you know, I had to try and learn as I was going, really. But the lads were brilliant. They're just a great group of people. And so were all the support staff. So there was a guy called Jason Weaver and James Voider, who are my assistant coaches. And they were also pretty fresh into it as well. So we kind of, we helped each other out a little bit. You know, oh, should I say this? Should I say that? Am I meant to say this? What can I do here? So it was good to have them to bounce off of a little bit, which was nice. But yeah, and then we won 7-1. So fast forward, 1-7-1. It's brilliant. I think I have eaten enough food 
to say that I've definitely celebrated winning the Ashes. But no, it was great. It was it was it was an intense tour, and it was the first time I'd ever gone away as like the coach of a team, well, head coach of a team on a tour. So it went pretty quickly, to be honest. But it was um, looking back, it's brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And you say you were stepping out of your comfort zone to get involved with, you know, disability cricket and all of that. Is it something that you'd really heard that much about? And you say there was stuff that, you know, that was difficult to sort of say and what you kind of do. How do you overcome all of that? And how can we increase the coverage of this and more people to get to know what they can say, how they can get involved, what they can do? Yeah, so I, to be honest, didn't know much about disability cricket. I knew that there was a physical disability side. But other than that, I wasn't aware of a learning disability. Obviously, we were out there in Australia with the deaf team. Didn't know that these things went on until I was in the thick of it, really. But I think in terms of like things you can and can't say, it's very much independent on the individuals that you've got there. Because a lot, you know, some of them will have autism, some of them will have other learning difficulties. So, but also it doesn't all present in the same way. So some people can be really autistic. Some people can just be mildly autistic. And you, you can, you have to just flex. So... The thing that I found that helped me the most was just not not being too emotional. So like I can be quite energetic and a bit bouncy sometimes, but I can also be a bit moody, just like a normal, you know, normal coach can be. So I just tried my hardest to be as calm as possible. Anything that was kind of thrown at me, just would take a deep breath and stare at them and then think, right, how am I going to respond to this one? And then just take a little bit more time, I guess, over, you know, rather than coaching the women or coaching females is where I'm quite comfortable. So I I would probably just react to something pretty quickly. Um, just make sure that I took my time over things and then, and I was honest with them. I don't, you know, I'm not, um, I don't like it if people are a bit fluffy with me, if they're trying to conceal something or, you know, they want to say something, but they want to try and say it nicely to spare my feelings. I'd rather them just say it and then I can deal with that. So that's kind of the tact that I went with them because Derek, to be fair, was great. The guy before, he just said that, you know, essentially be a good person and be honest with them and and that's that's you know if that's all that you end up doing then that's that's two of the biggest things so I just sort of held on to that a little bit just on the ashes I think England took five teams within the men's the women's England women's A's England men's A's and they all between those four teams couldn't register a win and then you guys come along win 7-1 so you must feel so pleased not only to win the ashes but also to have the main bragging rights <laughs> yeah bragging rights are always nice and I've got um me and uh one of my assistant coaches got a little tattoo as well to celebrate celebrate that we want it because you never know it might never happen again but no it's great I think it's all relative though isn't it against the opposition that you come up against and the situation and it's so different in disability sport because it it all depends on how much the country that you're playing against put into it themselves as well whereas I think women's cricket Obviously, men's cricket is has been around much longer. If you think of you think of women's cricket, international cricket, so maybe 15 to 20 years ago, that's probably where the disability England teams are at, where they don't get paid to play, and they like everything. Everything is obviously paid for them, but but yeah, so it's kind of they're a few years behind at the moment, and then other countries could be, you know, Australia probably a little bit behind that as well. So it's as much as I want to brag and be like, yeah, one seven one, don't mind me, but it's it you know it has it's all relative isn't it I guess and what has been the most rewarding part of the role so far I think it's been how how I've got on with with the players themselves and the staff because I'm you know I'm quite obviously I'm I was fresh out of nappies really going into disability cricket so 
Uh, I like to think that I built up a relationship with a lot of them, a lot of the players and stuff pretty quickly. And I think, and since then, you know, I've kept in touch with a lot of them, obviously. So I was interim until the end of the tour and now they're making decisions on what's going to happen in the future, really. But it's been good that I think the relationships that I've built have obviously been pretty strong and that I've, I'm in a situation where I can still pick up the phone and talk to any of them if I wanted to and they can do the same to me. I wanted to ask, obviously, you've been involved with women's cricket and now disability cricket. I wanted to know what do what are some of the differences between the sessions of disability cricket and women's cricket? So because of the, the nature of the guys' impairments, so we would have a weekend where we train and it would be, I think it was uh, 10 till 12 till 6 on a Saturday and then 9 till 2 on a Sunday. So you stay overnight. And it's essentially like, it sounds long, 12 to 6, you think, Christ, six hours, what are you going to do? But they need probably a little bit longer just sometimes just to calm down and then refocus because they can't concentrate for as long. Again, just because of the nature of their impairments. And six hours for anybody is, is a pretty long time. So, so it's like, you know, you set up your skills and, and what you want to work on, but it's just being aware that some people might need a break, being aware that there might be a few tantrums that happen in that time. And then the next day they are pretty cooked because they don't, because the volume then is, is so high. They literally go from probably a bit of club cricket and maybe a bit of training in the winter, one session a week, if that from January to then a whole weekend of it. And they're staying overnight and they're buzzing because they're around their mates again. And whereas obviously women's cricket in the situation that it's in now they're you know, I mean, I live with Amy Campbell, who's used to training three times a week now and playing and, and things like that. So they obviously they get in and they crack on whereas the lads probably just need you know you'll start with your snc but then then might snc and fielding they might need a bit of a break after that give them 20 minutes then you get into your your batting then you give them 20 minutes half hour have your lunch whatever so it's just but it's just being really flexible with them because everybody's so different and so it's not a secret that it just doesn't get as much coverage as others no, men's cricket and also women's cricket in this country and then we had this incredible ashes we saw a lot about that and we haven't really heard that much on disability cricket before and since which is a shame but is it something that you almost see a reflection of perhaps where women's cricket was x number of years ago as well that it needs something monumental to make this recognition happen yeah there's so much like there's so much scope for it to grow and what's brilliant is this summer they've got a disability premier league going on so I think it's three days at the uh, in August which is great because that will hopefully just bring together and and build the awareness of the fact that this goes on because there's I've had a few messages of people since like oh, I didn't even know that there was a learning disability team I think I might qualify how do I get in touch with people and stuff like that which is brilliant but speaking to to Jane Powell who's the performance manager now for the disability cricket um she is an absolute hun and also she's she's so um, excited by where disability cricket can go because there's so much scope. So I think she's preparing something now to send out to counties to make them aware of A, what's been going on and B, how people can qualify. Because I think there's just even I'm not clear on that, to be honest, because I don't you know, I, I didn't know anything before it. So but yeah, if you look back, like I was a bit disappointed, if I'm honest, I was a bit disappointed with the lack of social media interest from like the ECB leading into it. And then whilst we were out there, like we had the odd article that went out and everything like that. But I thought we're, we're playing the ashes and this is a big thing, not only for me, but for the players and for other people, you know, their family back home and other players that might aspire to be there. So it would have been nice if there was a little bit more social media wise on it, um, just to 
build the awareness and get it out there because cricket's cricket at the end of the day and if they're representing their country then that's a big deal and it should be taken and it should be treated as such I do find sometimes that is a problem not just with disability cricket with women's cricket because at the beginning of the year we saw when the under 19 men's got to the final they got all these good luck messages saying I'll go well for final this and that when the England women got to the final wasn't quite the same reception so what do you think governing bodies like the ECB like Australia cricket need to do to make sure disability cricket and all cricket really is getting the same attention I think it's just looking at what they currently do for all the other cricket that goes on and making sure that it's the same and making sure that they take it all seriously and because people will always come back like they do in women's cricket they'll say oh well, the standard isn't the same as the men's and well it's cricket but it's different isn't it it's women's cricket so there's going to be differences there's disability cricket there's going to be differences and if you start to take it seriously then you'll see a the standard get better and b people care, will care about it so I think it's just making sure that it's a level a level playing field for everybody on things like social media to me I mean I mean this is me saying it I'm terrible at social media like if you look at my Instagram I'm the worst poster ever but if you if you care about it and you want it to grow, then it should get the same respect and the same amount of time that the other things that you currently do also get. Because if you do that, then it's going to grow organically anyway because of the awareness that it will build up. Obviously, social media can be a toxic place. You do get people who are just right, trying to use a word that's, you know, all right. <laughs> not nice. People, people can be not nice on social media. And that's something that can potentially be difficult. Like we, we see it against the women, we see it against... You know, people who, you know, of all forms, backgrounds, beliefs, loves, whatever, they there's always gonna be someone out there who says something that just isn't nice because that's what the world consists of on social media sometimes. How can we use social media in a positive way to try and almost protect from this and like cause put out learning disability cricket and as much as love as we all want to give it, there's gonna be someone out there who's potentially gonna say something negative and that could potentially really impact some of these players more so than, you know, your able-bodied players, your female players, men's players. What can we do about combating that? A million-dollar question, isn't it? You're right. It's wor- it is worrying because I think even in the women's game, you know, with the 100 and, and all the attention that's been getting, the girls, I know some players that have received some abuse and, and some horrible comments that have really affected them. And I think, in a way, we can't really control too much about what other people say but we can control how we react to it and how we kind of cope with it so having making sure that there's a support network for people there before we start bigging things up is probably really important because I know a lot of the learning disability lads they still get abuse at club cricket you know they still get people taking the mick out of them there so and that's people that play with them play against them week in week out so you know any old Joe blogs on social media can say whatever they want but a lot of it comes down to, without getting too like big a picture, but a lot of it comes down to how seriously Twitter take things like that and how it shouldn't be Tom, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 24, 27, that comments on everything. It should be, you know, people that actually can verify who they are and then they're, they're held a bit more accountable for it because it's an actual person and not just someone, some strange person just wanting to cause trouble. But I don't know, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's so difficult because it's, Anybody, you know, anybody could receive a message that's horrible. But I think I think it's just you have to be really t- you have to be really mentally strong and have some support around you if it's going to be a regular thing. I also always find that when it is people slagging off women's cricket, slagging off this thing, the next thing, it's always the users with no 
profile picture it's always like the silhouette or or when it was back in the day the egg and it's just like if you're if you're big enough so to speak to say these to tweet these things so publicly you should be man enough to show your face yeah and you think of um going up a little bit off subject but if you think of tinder right you use tinder and you have to go through your facebook don't you to prove that you are who you are on tinder so why can you not do that on Twitter and go through, I don't know, your mobile phone number to prove that you're an actual person? Like, I don't know, if you can do it, if you can do it on Tinder, then you can definitely do it on Twitter. It's just making sure that you do it and then you get your best pictures up, don't you? So um... Sadly, I'm not getting any dates from either of them at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, preach, useless. And then just last few bits on disability and then we'll move, we'll move on to more women's cricket and a bit of that. Um, just a segue into the women's cricket. Thoughts on a women's learning disability team and more women's disability size. How is that something that's not come about as much yet? So good question and very well timed. So on Saturday, <laughs> on Saturday, there was actually a women's pan disability session at Loughborough University, which is brilliant because it's the first time they've ever done it. And there's two more in August I think that fall in line with the men's disability premier league then as well so again but again like if you don't know you work in cricket all the time right but you don't know about it so why why don't you know about it why is it not reached you because then you know people with social media platforms like yourselves are the ones that can go bang this is happening contact so and so and get yourself in there if you think you can qualify but you know things like that so um so if you remind me I'll send that over to you and you can you can ship that out. Uh, and obviously Jane Powell, the absolute hardened, is the main contact for things like that. But yeah, again, that again will only grow the more that they do things like that. And it's a really positive step, I think, in the first, potentially the first country to do it. So it's really good. Also, any excuse to contact Jane? And I'm so there. <laughs> I met Jane and her identical twin a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, oh my God, this is the best. They are great, aren't they? They're so lovely. Yeah, she's just fab and what she's doing is great like we just love her so you obviously you're not you're a bit of a dab hand at cricket yourself but it's been a bit of a um should we call it a turbulent journey let's go with that one so if we look back at why where it all started we'll go chronologically now we've we've covered you know winning the ashes just that little that little thing that happened when you first started cricket who and what got you involved so I was a football girl when I was young. I always played football, played football for the mighty Bristol Rovers. And I always just played cricket in the back garden with my dad and my brother. And we were always very competitive. And it was just standard. I didn't actually join a cricket club until I was 15. Um, and that was only because, so that people would pester me before, oh, you should join cricket. But I was quite shy and I didn't really have any self-confidence. So I was a bit like, no, I'm quite comfortable with football, so it's fine. But one of my friends from football um, was like, Lauren like I'm going up to Shirehampton Cricket Club for this cricket session like you need to come with me I loved it last week it was so good and then she dragged me along and then and then it was pretty quick and I'd played a bit of like quick cricket at school yada 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 and then joined that club joined Shirehampton and then played for Gloucestershire 17s and senior women and then played for Worcestershire because I went to Worcester Uni Derbyshire because I then worked at Loughborough and then now Staffordshire. I think I like the fact that yeah yeah I know a lot of female cricketers go to university but the vast majority go to Loughborough and I'm not slagging Loughborough off but it's so nice to speak to someone who's not been to Loughborough 
So um, at Worcester, you studied, if I have got this right, you have a BSc in sports coaching, science and development. Spot on. So tell us a little bit about that. That, so I essentially, to be honest, I chose my university based on the fact that I'm a bit of a home bird. So being from Bristol, Worcester wasn't too far away. So I couldn't go back at weekends, but it was far away enough that I didn't have to stay with my parents. So it's about an hour, so it's not too bad. And I could take my washing home, so that was nice. The, be- the best part, well, there were two really good parts for me at uni, and it's obviously I met a load of people that were just like myself, like just enjoyed sport and, to be honest, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. But throughout the three years that I was there, I kind of started to realise. And then um, I had this one lecturer called Glenn Harding, and he was just, like, the, the best person you'll ever meet. Like, he was so caring, he was brilliant. At Christmas, I'd pop into his office and he'd have some Christmas cake from his wife and a a coffee waiting for me. So he was just like, and I like the fact that at Worcester, obviously you mentioned Loughborough, but if you go to Loughborough, it feels to me like you're just a bit, you could be anybody and you wouldn't get the kind of care and attention that you would at a smaller university. So I enjoyed that. I got to know the lecturers a little bit more. Um, And I kind of developed a bit of a personality from there, really, because I was quite shy when I was younger. So it was good. It was good. I didn't get the best degree in the world, but but we won't talk about that. We don't need to know the classification. Any degree is a degree in my book. <laughs> and also, who asked you? I have a psychology degree. Why? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So then, so you're playing at Worcester, and this is where I'm not. I don't want to say controversy arose a little bit, but there was um, it wasn't the happiest of endings at Worcester. Can you just? So obviously we saw the things that came out in the cricketer back in 2019 and your chat with Raf and all that kind of stuff. So what sort of led to this and how did it sort of turn so sour? And is this something that you think has changed these days? If you just fill us in on the story a little bit. Yeah, so it was essentially we had been, as, as a lot of county women's teams were, asked to pay to play. And we had a season where nobody had mentioned having to pay. And then all of a sudden, towards the back end, I think we were leading into a bit of a playoff. We were then slapped with this email, oh, you need to pay this amount of money. So that already didn't sit very well with myself and a lot of the girls. And I was captain at the time, so I kind of took it upon myself to, I spoke to everybody and we composed an email. We sent it off. We never got a response to that email. But it was just essentially around like, look, you know, you didn't tell us about this. So we need some help. And and it spiralled a little bit from there. I think, you know, if I look back, I probably could have handled the situation better. Worcester probably, when they look back, could probably have handled the situation better because it just became like an email keyboard warrior kind of thing, uh, which is never good. I think, I, you know, I was, how old am I? I was probably mid-20s and, and a little bit a little bit of an idiot at times. So I definitely could have handled it better. And then obviously it, it led to me being removed from the squad and asked to not, never return. So that is the short story of it. I am more than happy to give you the long story with a drink. <laughs> but yeah, so that's essentially it. But it was it, came, it all came down to money at the end of the day. It all came down to money and people wanting their money. And, and I get that. I do get that. And But what I'm really glad is that Worcester and, and all other counties seems to seem to have taken huge strides forward in in not asking the women to pay or asking them to pay as much as we used to. And 
And I think that's just, that's massive. You know, you represent your county, you're selected for it. In my opinion, if you're selected for something, shouldn't really have to pay because they've selected you. So, so yeah, it didn't end in the best of notes, but I'm glad that obviously now with my regional role with Central Sparks that we've made up and I think we can all just agree to disagree a little bit, but also agree that it, it could have been handled in a much better way by, by both parties. So... And was there anything after that that made you just not want to play anymore? You were like, what is the point? Yeah, I was gutted. To be honest, I was really gutted. I, I enjoyed playing cricket with the girls at Worcester and I enjoyed like I enjoyed being captain. So yeah, I was gutted and it, it took me a bit of time to really think about whether I wanted to continue playing um, or if I wanted to go down the coaching route um, early doors. But I'm glad that I did. Derbyshire were lovely. Um, and they sort of said, you know, come and play with us. There's no pressure. Just come and play and see how you get on kind of thing, which was great for me because I didn't want anything that was too intense at the time. So, yeah, to be honest, yeah, I was gutted, shed a few tears over it. And but glad that I kept going, glad that I keep playing. Just on that, it seems that it was a situation, obviously, like you said, could have been handled better and a situation that got out of hand. And it seemed like you you got a lot of the blame, which didn't particularly seem that did you ever get any clarification or an apology from Worcester in the aftermath of it all unraveling uh no I've not no I've never had anything like that no I just got an email saying please don't contact us again so but those people that were involved in that have uh, moved on now I don't know why but they've they've moved on so which kind of makes my job now a little bit easier and and you know like I think sometimes you have to admit if you're wrong just like you know I'm happy to admit I should have dealt with it better and it it just is what it is I'm glad that it's not I'm not in the thick of it anymore and if I speak to my friends if I speak to my family I'm still relatively comfortable with the fact that I stood up for myself and I stood up for the people that I played cricket with and and if it meant that I didn't play for them any more than that is what it is isn't it you just have to deal with it so and what changes have you seen since that time because obviously there have been so many developments in the women's game and it's probably almost bittersweet because you're like I didn't get to experience that what if but and this kind of thing but does it make you feel good that it's not the same for girls and women playing now oh yeah it's brilliant it's amazing now you know that it seems like obviously ECB are putting in a load of money and the money's going in the right place, which is the best thing. It's going to the right people that are all in it for the right reasons. And I think that was one of the issues probably a few years ago where the, there was money going in, but it wasn't going to the right people for the right reasons. So now it's, you know, it's so exciting as a, as a young cricketer growing up and the potential that you can have. And, and it's just the, and the time and the care that, you know, I obviously work with the Sparks Academy and, these girls have they have the option to train three times a week and they have all this support around them. And I just think, oh, that's like that's brilliant, isn't it? If you want it, if you if you want to just A, get better as a cricketer, that as an opportunity is fantastic. And then the, the standard of the women's game is only going to grow. The, the main thing I think now is what about people like me? You know, I'm 30 in a few weeks' time, but there's a whole host of female cricketers out there that are mid to late 20s who they're not too old, but the if the under 18s are getting three sessions a week and you know me personally I've not had a training session for three years then how will I ever be able to stake a claim for something like that and I think you know mid-20s to early to mid-30s if I was you know I am obviously a player but some I know some people out there are thinking well what about me what what can I do what what's out there for me so I think that's probably potentially maybe the next step in the or should be the next step in the plan you'd think. 
Right, so you moved on from Worcester, fix it, flush it, those kind of things. How did you rediscover your love for cricket? I, well, yeah, I played for Derbyshire, who were great. Um, as I mentioned, they just were pretty relaxed and thankfully didn't expect too much from me because that season, because it happened in March with Worcester, so that season I was a bit nowhere, to be honest. But I always, so I was working within community sport, it was community cricket, so I was started at Worcester as a development officer, development coach, was in school all the time, and then when I was at Loughborough, I was there as a community uh, lightning community officer I can't remember the exact role but and that was you know integrating with clubs and county boards and stuff like that and getting more women and girls softball festival bits and pieces but I always wanted to I always wanted to go into performance so that is when I kind of spurred myself to go people like in my mind I think people should be treated better and so I wanted to be a part of that so that kind of I then started doing a lot more performance-based coaching like I've done county age groups before but then I got involved with the Loughborough MCCU and things like that so that's how I kind of rediscovered it really is that is coaching and and wanting people to be treated better in that situation so and then I just kept playing and now I'm player coach at Staffordshire which is is good a bit of a challenge because it's difficult to warm everyone else up and warm myself up at the same time but but that's good that's a really good challenge for me so yeah I pretty much just went more into coaching from there on in really and what is it about coaching that you love so much and what are some of the differences you found through coaching all these different age groups and players that you perhaps play with uh what do I love I love I love social interaction personally so I love being around people and I love that team atmosphere especially like a a fun kind of relaxed one which is you know where central sparks are at at the moment it's brilliant and it is it's a challenge because obviously I've coached for like even now I'll dip into some under 11 sessions and you've got to be really happy and smiley and bouncy and like I'm I probably when I dip in I'm probably really distracting then for the other coaches that are there and then as you go through obviously it's just the expectation gets a little bit greater and you know when people talk about like coaching philosophies and things like that it's always like a key question when you have an interview like oh what's your coaching philosophy but you have to flex it so much dependent on the age and stage of those people and you know whether they've got impairments or not male female whatever it might be so I think it's just and that's another thing that I like about coaching is having to not be like not be fake but not every day is the same although every day can you know every day feels the same you have to almost sometimes be like a completely different person to how you were the day before depending on who you're with which is kind of fun and probably a bit of a skill in itself that the best coaches can can master and so you're involved with sparks and the development that's going on there obviously this you know it's a fairly new setup all of these um regionals uh since 2020 how much have you seen that grow and what kind of impact is it all having on the women's game because from what we see and get involved in it's like astronomical yeah, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? I think the fact that people can be can make a living now out of playing cricket, women can make a living is just fantastic. But I also just think it's the, even for the wider squad, so the girls that aren't being paid, they get paid to play, but not to train. I think it's just brilliant because it's it allows them to have really great people coaching them. And, you know, without big and sparks up too much, we do have a brilliant team of people of staff you know from the physios snc to the coaching staff and obviously laura mcleod as the regional director and they're like i said it's, it's people it's the right people in the right positions people that care about the development of the sport and not just about getting some money in their back pocket so it's just the opportunity that the girls get and then the standard of cricket is just getting better and better 
which is only is only going to keep getting better and better as time goes on really you think men being paid to play for however many years so people are expecting players to just all of a sudden just because they've started being paid to play they're, they're automatically going to be better well they're not that takes time so all of that will take a bit of time and in the next few years you'll see it getting the standard getting better just like the men's game is getting still getting better and better and better because it just develops so but yeah I think it's just brilliant the 100 obviously was fantastic last year for for women's cricket and the exposure that it got I went to a few games at Edgebaston where you know there was I think it was like 15,000 in to watch the women's game before the men's which is just brilliant you'd never get 15,000 people watching it so in terms of exposure that's great and then hopefully over time what would be even better is if you see that filter into the regional game where there's more people coming to watch that because that to be you know there aren't too many people that come out and watch that at the moment but but hopefully at some point there'll be more fans that will come along and support Central Sparks no one else. Just on your role as development officer at Sparks you've seen someone like Davina Perrin come through the ranks and she's now going to be playing for Birmingham Phoenix this year in the 100 which is really great she's only 15 who are some of the up-and-coming Sparks players we should be on the lookout for oh well there's a whole host of them obviously oh whose horn do I want to blow so we've got Ellie Anderson, who's been in our senior squad for the last couple of games, unfortunately hasn't made a debut, so she's definitely someone to look out for. Karis Pavely is another one, absolutely boshes it, left-hander. Who else have we got? There's a girl at the moment actually called Meg Austin, who she had an operation on her knee last year. And the fact that herself and another girl who also had a knee operation, Caitlin Belcher, they both are coming back from that and and, and just shows the support they get. So we've been away at this regional festival this week and they have literally used up every opportunity they could with the physio to be able to do their rehab. But that is that's something that they've done for the last however many months from when they had their, their knee operations. So I think to show that kind of resilience and that, that want to get fit and then get better you know they're back batting now and and they're absolutely buzzing about it I think shows probably more than what their where their skill level at is to whether they'll go far because especially Meg Meg was awesome before she got injured and now she's had this operation I can only imagine she'll come back stronger and a much more resilient person from it so I'd go yeah I'd go Pavs Ellie and Meg Austin and then whoever else is in the Spark Central Sparks Academy who will be jealous that I've not mentioned them right now so you've got quite a few up and coming and you've also got some, there's also some sparks that are really flying at the moment. What's it like as a, as a setup, you know, as a family, the younger ones looking at the older ones, the likes of, you know, Izzy Wong's about to play in the Commonwealth Games, basically in her home city, which is really cool. What's it like within the spark setup to be able to see that? It's amazing, isn't it? And Wongi is absolutely mental. So she's going to love the Commonwealth Games, isn't she? She's going to be buzzing around for however many weeks on her tiptoes as she runs in. But I think what's re- what's really good about the Sparks environment is that the academy train a lot with the seniors. So it's not it's not so not too daunting for them. They'll sit, you know, they're, they're alongside Izzy Wong. You know, some of the academy girls would have faced Izzy Wong in the nets and things like that. And I think that's brilliant experience for them, but also takes away that, oh, my God, it's Izzy Wong. You know, so it's not so scary if they then do progress into the senior squad and they they get a gig in there, then they're much more comfortable in that situation, which which is brilliant. And everybody supports one another with that. It's so nice to see like the older players just put their arm around the youngsters if they can see them struggling or offer words of advice. And and that doesn't come without without allowing them the opportunity to do that, because 
I know some teams still, they keep their seniors very separate to their academy. And eventually we may have to go that way. But for the time being, I think it's brilliant that we mix in quite a lot and it just allows people to learn from each other. And, and the older ones probably learn a little bit from the youngsters, keep them, keep them young, get them on nights out and things like that. So that's always good. And so going forward from here, what's the next plan? Are you going to be with recording this just as the week of the Commonwealth Games starts? So will you be off to any games and seeing any of that? I am hoping to. Obviously, I'm in Birmingham, so I'm hoping to get across to watch some games. But it depends. It's very busy at the moment. But if not, I will be sat in front of the telly watching them. And then obviously we've got the 100. I've got a placement with Welsh Fire in the 100. So I will be with them for a couple of games and a few training sessions, hopefully. But yeah, apart from that, it's just going to be busy. We've still got academy fixtures going on. We've got scouting going on. We've got observations that go on. And so it's going to, and then I've got to sit down and watch the 100, watch the rest of the 100 at some point. So I was lucky last year I had COVID for a week. So I was, I was locked in my room. I was in a house share. So I was locked in my room for a week. So I used to plan my days around at three o'clock. I'd sit in front of the telly and watch it all. So I'd watch the women's game. Then I'd have a nap in between the women and the men's game. And then I'd watch the men's game and then drift off to sleep. So it's just perfect for a badger like me to be able to have the time to watch it all. It's like me on test match cricket days, you know, you sort of line up your lunch and tea and everything at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And that sort of brings us nicely. Alex, do you have anything else you wanted to add? Because I thought that could bring us on nicely to our quick fire question. Yeah, I just have a quick one. Obviously, earlier you mentioned you live with Amy Campbell. So I just wanted to know, like, do you guys end up traveling to work together like do you guys get do you get to pick her brain much for like not ideas but like stuff you could pass on perhaps to some of the younger girls or is it does she come in and kind of cope not coach them but give them words of wisdom herself cambo's always happy to give words of wisdom herself but it's we don't unfortunately we don't travel to work together because um we both leave the house at different times we have different morning routines i think is the is the fairest way to go about it so and i'll try and probably try and get there a bit earlier than when the players need to but we do sit down you know we've got a little garden that we sit in and we will we'll chat and we'll put the world to rights about certain things within cricket and which is good it's great to have to to live with Amy and almost see the other side of it and did you go you know, to the 90s night with her no I didn't I didn't she's dressed up as a fresh pinch wasn't she so that was very funny but yeah no unfortunately I wasn't there but but no, like Cambo's great. And it and it made me realise, I guess, when she first started as a pro and she was contracted, how how tired she was. And I'd never, I, in my mind, I was thinking, you can't be this tired just from training. Like, come on, get on with it, girl. But then honestly, she just, but she was so tired because the volume of training that she then started to do, it made me realise that, oh, actually, yeah, okay, this is a bit tough. I was a bit ignorant to it. So it's been good to just take things on from her, really. And she's not tired from doing the Fresh Prince rap or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. She's fine. She's bouncing around today. If we get her doing that, that'd be great. So <laughs> we like to always round off with a bunch of quickfire questions. And you mentioned we mentioned tea and lunches things. So we're going to start off with what is your favourite item at cricket tea? Pizza. Oh, that was quick. Cold? Yeah, uh, yeah it's got to be cold, isn't it? Yeah. Pizza. What kind of toppings on the pizza? Oh, I'm a bit of a plain Jane. I do enjoy cheese and tomato, but anything with a bit of meat on it is usually a goer. Well, Izzy Wong's favourite tea item was a spoon because she didn't get a question. So. It doesn't surprise me, to be honest. 
yeah so um yeah and then another one that we really love is what's your favorite sledge that you've ever used or heard i've got to think of one that doesn't have a swear word in it now um oh god this is really going to test me what's the favorite one that i've ever used or heard i mean i've used a few I'm probably one of those that you would rather play with than against because I just don't stop talking throughout the whole thing. I really, really enjoyed Lloyd actually told me this one of, oh, Patty, you've got some, you've got some poo on the end of your bat. All right. He obviously didn't say poo. He said a different word, beginning with S, ending in T. And then the batter looked at the bottom of their bat and he went, no, 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 the other end. Do you get it? I get it. I don't. Yeah. You don't get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd be out in the middle, like, wait, can you just explain that, please? Can you just wait for that gunpowder because I don't get what they're saying. I don't understand what she just said. I mean, the main thing is you would be distracted, wouldn't you? So oh, yeah, I'd be standing there like, what? <laughs> you stop running in because I'm really trying to think here. Yeah, I've had it before where I've been batting and someone will say something from first slip as the as the bowler's running in, and yeah, just anything. I I usually sing. I usually like to sing a bit of Elton John, Rocket Man. Nice. That's yeah, a rogue sledge. But if you're a terrible singer, it's going to distract anyone. I'm not a terrible. I'm a beautiful singer. That's what. If you're a beautiful singer. It's really going to distract them. Like, oh, <laughs> Elvis is here. Elvis is at my game. <laughs> Very funny. Maybe Elvis was into cricket. Who knows? Favorite place you've played? It probably have to be Worcester New Road. It's just lovely, isn't it? It's nice. It's got a nice big changing room and a nice big cathedral. Other than Amy Campbell, who is your best friend in cricket? I have to give a shout out to my girl Rachel Hopkins who has been my best friend for longer than I care to remember yeah I mean she's not the biggest name drop in the world unfortunately but she's my best friend nonetheless who has the best and worst chat in cricket the best and worst chat I think the worst chat has to be the best chat's obviously me the worst chat Oh my God, there's so many. There's so many people that just still go for the old school. Um, Keep going, girls. Why brings a wicket here, girls? You're like, oh, please stop. Please stop. Wongi's got pretty bad chat, to be honest, because she overthinks it and she just rambles on. Cambo is equally just as bad because she's a bit sleepy, I think is the best way to put it. Who else has got bad chat? Or even bad chat off the pitch. I'll tell you who is deceptively very, very funny is Grace Potts. She's got the driest sense of humour I've ever ever experienced and she's hilarious. Terrible chat. Rhea Fackrell's got pretty bad chat. Yeah, pretty bad. Do you want to just list everyone? Yeah. yeah. Like, I've got great chat. Everyone else is <laughs> I've just bigged up Potsy. Um, Liz Russell's pretty funny as well. Give her her due. She's all right. Yeah. I mean, I could put them all into good and bad, to be honest, but we could be here all week. To be fair, it must be a Potts thing to be funny because you've got Matty Potts, um, Durham bowler for England. He He's quite funny. He comes across quite funny and quite intelligent as well. So we can always say people with the best chats are also very intelligent. Yes, you could say that, which is why obviously I've got such good chat. But Potts is genuinely just so dry. She'll say one comment and you, it'll just like, she'll, be, she'll deadpan it and you just can't believe that she's come out of it. She's just, yeah, one of those. You'd never expect it, but she's good. Night in or night out? I enjoy night out. I do enjoy night out. Yeah, I enjoy it. And I'm one of those people that I'll say, oh, yeah, I'll just pop out for a couple. I'll join you for a couple. And then I'm out till four o'clock in the morning because I've danced too much. And then I end up having chips and curry sauce, waking up the next morning with a few regrets and, and then cracking on. So, yeah, night out, definitely. 
last series you binged? Last series I binged. Uh, oh my God, what did I binge the other, the other week? Hang on. Let me get my Netflix up on my phone. It's tell me. I've just started watching Umbrella Academy. That seems it's all right. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. What did I binge? What did I binge? Do, do, do. Ozark's good. The last thing I binged, like proper binged, was How to Get Away with Murder. I watched that for the second time, and I probably did that in a few weeks. Just because you know when you rewatch something and, and you just like, oh, I didn't even realise that. I didn't even. Oh, I've completely forgotten about it. Gossip Girl. Oh, I've never watched Gossip Girl. You've never yeah, watched I've... Gossip Girl. <laughs> So we need to hang up so you can go and start. I know two or no, which I've just been rewatching. Oh, with Gossip Girl, you've got to watch the classic one with Chase Crawford and Penn Badgley. Not not this new crappy one. I don't. I've been care. watching the new crappy one. It's crap. It's like no. It's because they're trying to make it so modern and like with the times. It's like no. That's why Gossip Girl was good because it was just like back in the day, two thousand seven. It's the fashion though, like. It was just so well written that like the fashion was just classic. Now it's just like I don't I couldn't even tell you what a modern day fashion trend is. Yeah, fair. Have you ever watched This Is Us on Amazon Prime? Don't. I need to watch. How good? How good? It's such an emotional roller coaster. I think what like my mood each week would be dependent on what's happened in that episode. Yeah. Who's your favorite character? Oh, it's a good question. What's oh, what's his name? Kevin. Oh, gotta love Kevin. Yeah, I like Kevin. Or the or um was it Madison, the woman that he had children with? Yeah. Yeah, or her, those two. I wanted them to be together, to be honest, but yeah. I find I Kate what... very annoying. I'm not gonna lie. Very annoying. Yeah, she is annoying. <laughs> Georgie's just sitting there like, I don't watch this. I don't you know what's going on. It. You need yeah. to watch it. Yeah, I probably do, but I'm casually trying to finish watching the new Gossip Girl. I now have started, I have to finish, and it's just shite. So that's what happened. Favourite genre of music? And then we'll let you go, I promise. That's right. Uh, Favourite genre of music? To be honest, I really like old music. So, like, I've got a record player, I've got vinyls, but I've got, like, Frank Sinatra, Elvis, Fleetwood Mac... But I don't really know if that's a genre. I think I'm just living in the past, if that's a genre. It's know. okay. We have actual breaking news right now. UK is definitely going to host Eurovision next year. Oh, fantastic. What just coming last? <laughs> no problem. I don't care. We're going to be hosting. That's the best. As long as they pick like a decent place, not some somewhere bad like Coventry. <laughs> Coventry Milton was the first place I could think of. I could have said Leeds, but Leeds is 50-50. Yeah, I mean... It's like, it's big enough to, like... And it's nice enough, but then it's also, like, kind of not great at the same time. Savage. Bit harsh. Oh, I can say that having lived in Leeds for three years because of uni. It was... It's, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, it's great, but at the same time, you're just kind of like... Because I didn't go to U- University of Leeds... You can just you can just see all the toffs a mile away, and they're just like, oh, "We're better than you." I'm like, "Shut up!" Mm, that will yeah, fight yeah. you. But there we go. Alex, did you have anything else you want to ask? Lauren, did you have anything else to add? Just quickly, Lauren, where can our listeners find you across social media platforms? Yeah, we know you said earlier you're not the best, but where can they find out about you, about the England learning disability, about Central Sparks? 
about the whole shebang, really. So if you want to see me moan about Amazon not delivering my order or not refunding me when they should, then Twitter is the place to go. That's Lauren Rolls 10. Uh, if you want to see me post about twice a year um, when I see my family, then Instagram is the place to go. That's Lauren Rolls 92. And then just Lauren Rolls. There are two Lauren Rolls though. So there's a Lauren Rolls who's a Paralympian. So don't try not to get us mixed up because unfortunately I'm not as athletic as she is. Well, thank you. It's been absolutely fab to have you on. It's funny because Alex edits these and cuts them down on Emmett and Sometimes people don't realise how long we actually just have a good old chin wag for that just gets cut out. So thank you so much for taking time out most of your money, it seems. Um, and it's been really fab to have you. And I hope everyone has enjoyed listening. Thank you, Lauren Rolls, Rolls-Royce, for joining us today. And yeah, we'll hopefully catch you in Birmingham at some point at some hundred and you won't be hidden in your room watching it from there. <laughs> yeah perfect yeah just drop me a line when you're there and i'll come and join you for a drink fabulous well thank you so much and yeah have a fab day thanks guys we really enjoyed that massive thank you to lauren for coming on and being a guest on the podcast and for being so open about what happened with worcestershire it obviously wasn't very easy for her so we're really appreciative for her speaking about it and you know Ash's winning coach, on the flip side of that, the only team to win the Ashes this year. So, And I also believe it was the first time the learning disability played the Ashes. So, you know, she's won and done. She can, re- she can retire a happy person if she chooses to. And it's also really great to hear that disability cricket is growing and so it should because all cricket is cricket at the end of the day and cricket is a game for everyone not just the select few and to all our listeners if you want to keep up to date with everything that we're doing you can follow us on twitter at wcricketchat on instagram at women's cricket chat and if you want to give us a like on facebook we are women's cricket chat if you'd like to give our personal twitters a follow then it's at hannity1194 at georgie heath27 at cassie coombs98 at mihika barshney and i'm at alexane perera this has been women's cricket chat tune in next time